Jimmy. He's French, you know. <laughs> Good morning, church. All right. How are we doing today? A little, little cold, a little rainy. I like it. I like it because today is Sandwich Sunday and soup and salads is on the menu. Perfect. Couldn't have planned that better. Uh, if you forgot it's Sandwich Sunday and you didn't bring anything, who cares? Come downstairs. Plenty of food. Plenty of food. Let's have fun. Talk, chit-chat, get to know each other. Uh, let's see. So there's a couple things. Uh, we got two Bible studies running. One on Sunday morning, the awe of God. That's with Miss Jerry at 9 a.m. And the second Bible study is Wednesday nights, which is don't bring in, uh, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And that's at 6 to 7.30. And I know a couple weeks ago we were talking about... Uh, taking a step, advancing your walk with God. What better way to do it than give an hour that you don't normally join a Bible study? Give that hour to God. Let's take a step in the right direction. So I encourage you, please pray about it. Get involved. Uh, A big one that was quite conflicting this week the schools, uh, the school thing we got coming up, the Harvest Carnival at Pine Grove Elementary on the 13th of this month, because it's already October. What happened? Man. So the m- important thing there is uh, there's this new HR person, and there was a whole f- needed to get volunteers, needed to get background checked and fingerprinted, and then we're like, no, it's after school. Well, there's this whole thing. Well, luckily, Selena down at Pine Grove doesn't put up with anything, and she marched down there and set them straight. So we're still on. There was this, like, we may not do it. We may do it. We may do it here. There was all this, like, whoa. So now we're set. It's at Pine Grove Elementary on the 13th. We need volunteers. We're going to be having bounce houses and all that stuff. Please come. If you can only come for setup or tear down or just in the middle, whatever you can give, we'll take. So it's for the kids. It's a super cool event. In addition to that, we need candy. Candy, candy, candy. So that barrel in the back, if everybody sees that white barrel, please, if you at the store and you're like, ooh, throw that in the cart and donate it for these uh, information baskets. We like to throw candy at kids gently. But uh, this, uh, this event's super important to the community, and it's special that we get to be a part of it. So I encourage that. Other than that, uh, oh, ooh, ah, e. I just got a text this morning. Nolani and Coulter and the new baby and Jack were going to be here, but uh, he's getting a little jaundice That's not a word. A little jaundice which is like, you know, yelling, yellowing of the skin, not enough sunlight. So he's at the hospital right now getting some UV done. But if we can just keep them in our prayers, I'm actually going to pray right now because we need to. So if you could just bow your heads. Uh, Father God, we just pray for little Isaac. Um, please, Lord, uh, he needs some sunshine. He needs some UV. I pray that you use the doctors and they're doing all the right treatments. And we just want to see that baby, beautiful miracle baby, uh, healthy. So, Father, be with Coulter and Olani, because it ain't easy having a new one. And I just pray that we we lift them up and encourage them and provide them with what we need, because we are a family, Lord. And we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, with that being said, it's another five minutes to get to know each other. 
All right, everybody stand up and let's do this thing. <laughs> Where is it? Boom. There you go. Good job. Good job. And I want to say good morning to everybody watching online today. God bless you. We're thankful that you're here. Man, it can never replace being in the house of God, but we appreciate the fact that you've decided whether you're fault or not to watch us. And we thank you for it. I believe God has directed you to us today. Stay for the whole message today. I really encourage you to do that. Today we're going to talk about the battle for the family, the tug of war for our families. So stay for the whole service, okay? God bless you.
Well, God bless you for being so faithful. Thank you to everyone. Uh, wonderful praise report. I, I do want to give you this morning. Uh, I've never had this happen. You never know who's watching online. You never know who you people are up there, you people. Um, but last week, I don't want to give any names. I don't want to share, share too much, but I just want to tell you that I was leaving. Uh, we were just wrapping up, and, and uh, I, I asked Jimmy and Anna, is everything done? They said, yeah, and I said, great. So I started walking up, and, and uh, a wonderful woman from Volcano uh, drove up, drove up, and uh, was so sweet, she was so excited about service that she had been watching online that she got in her car and wanted to, to bless us. And so she had wanted to give an offering, and she also had these wonderful pears for Debbie and I, and uh, some DVDs that I meant to bring down to put on the resource table. And she just was so excited about service watching online, she had to get in her car and come up here. And uh, so you never... Oh, so you got, no, 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 you don't have five more minutes. <laughs> so that was wonderful. You just don't know, you know, what's happening online. And by the way, speaking of that, if you, you've been blessed by this ministry, or if you need anything, please comment below so we can take part and be a two-way conversation here. We'd appreciate that. So, you know, God's faithful even when we're not. And that's one of the things about our offerings. I, I want to do something a little different today. As we, uh, who's, we have ushers today? Oh, okay. As they get ready to receive your tithes and offerings, those of you, uh, even with a heart to give, if you could just, um, whatever your offering is today, I want you to put your hand on it right here. And we're going to do what my grandma used to do. My grandma, every time she got her, her check, anytime she had money in her hand, anytime she was giving or doing anything, she always prayed over that money. And so I'm going to ask you to, to do that with me this morning. Father, we just ask you to take whatever offering is given today, whether it's a heart to give or whether it's somebody who's stepping out in faith maybe for the first time and giving maybe even more than 10%. Maybe it's someone giving their, all that they can give, and that's what they're doing. They're giving it all. God, whatever that is, whoever's hands on whatever money there is today, whatever resource there is today that's been given by you to them, and they are trying to worship you in spirit and in truth and in their offering, showing you the priority of their lives, that, God, you would bless it, that you would increase it, that, God, we would use it for your glory. You give us wisdom as a church. That, Father, for those who give out of sacrifice, that, God, you would provide abundantly for them. That, Lord, we would see testimony after testimony showing when they gave, look what God did. And so we thank you in advance, God, for what you are going to do through these offerings. I pray for those online that maybe have gone to our website and clicked online giving and, and they, they've taken their step of faith and given to this ministry because they believe that God has told them to do this. That God, you would bless them and bless them indeed. We ask you to do this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, ushers. I love this song. Sometimes I think I do some of these songs just because I like them. This is one I feel guilty about once in a while. Because it just touches me where the verse says, Let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of His mercy. 
as deep cries out to deep. Come, Lord Jesus. It just says it all, doesn't it? All who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain, dip your heart in the Yeah. 
some of you have heard that song before once or twice. But I want to take the opportunity to renew. I heard a verse in a, I can't remember what song it was. It was a country song of some sort. It was on, uh, on a Sirius XM station. I, I don't know the, the song. But the line stuck out so clearly. He's, uh, the, the father wanted to know if the boy who wanted to take the girl out, are you washed in the wa- no, are you washed in the water or, or are, no are you washed in the blood or just in the water? M- a big difference. It's a heavy line, isn't it? Are you are you wa- are washed in the washed in the blood or just in the water? Because anybody can go through the steps, right? Dear Jesus, please come into my heart. Then we go boom, dunk them, and everything's good. But until you realize the atonement was made by the shedding of Jesus's blood. That's when it's real. Amen? So when Jesus, on the last night, before the whole deal happened, he's having this one last quiet night with his disciples, hanging out, having a meal. And I love the fact that Jesus took ordinary elements. I believe, you know, if you look at Jesus' consistency, he's always got a lesson for you. You know, I picture him walking with the disciples. There's so many things that it says in the Bible that, that he did and spoke that were too many to be put into, into the one book, it says. So I picture him because of all the parables we hear. It's like this constant, you know, this constant illustrated sermon, these constant object lessons. So even the last night where they're hanging out, he says, oh, you know what? See this, see this loaf of bread? You see this bread? He goes, this bread is like, like my body. And you know how we break it and we pass it around and we all partake? He goes, my body is going to be broken for you. And I believe the other message in that is pass it around. Pass this message around. And so, Father, we take this bread that symbolizes your body that was broken for us. All that you went through. All that you, or, uh, that you just sustained. I don't even know how you sustained yourself, but all the pain and agony you went through in your body for our sake, God. We are to pass this around saying you did this for us. We thank you for that, and we take the bread in your name. Go ahead. Then I picture Jesus looking around the table. Oh, hand me the cup. Hand me the cup. And he says, see his cup? Cup's a big deal in the Bible. You know, t- is there any other way you could take this cup from me? You know, the cup that Jesus had to bear. We hear that the, Nehemiah even with the cup bearer was a cup bearer. And he took the risk of, of being killed by going to the king and saying, hey, I need to go to my people and help them rebuild the wall. The cup bearer was one that if you went and asked to leave it meant you probably knew something was up you knew something was up and so therefore if you knew something was up we're just going to go ahead and kill you anyway it's funny i was it has nothing to do with communion but i I was watching the old elizabeth taylor richard burton uh cleopatra three hours and 45 minutes or something like that but there's a scene where Cleopatra's cupbearer, she comes in, puts a glass of, of whatever on, on the table, and uh, she says, what's wrong with it? She goes, no, no, I, I taste it, it's fine, we'll taste it again. She goes, no, no. She was afraid, she made her drink the whole thing and she died. 
And I thought, that's what Nehemiah risked when he took that. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, think of the disciples and what they were risking thinking that Jesus was going to conquer these Romans. Jesus was going to be at a whole different level on this earth being king. Instead, he had no idea about he was going to be the king of kings. And so Jesus went to the cross and died and rose again. And during that time of that last meal, he's trying to tell them, look, my blood's going to be shed. It's going to look like it's over, but it ain't. It may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. And so he said, I want you to take this cup and drink of it. And I think what he meant by that is we have to be crucified with Christ. We will endure, endure pain, suffering, difficulties. That's the cup we bear when we walk with Jesus. So take, partake of it. It was shed for you. So Father, we thank you for the cup that Jesus bore for our sins. And it's by his blood that we are saved. That we can only stand, only stand before our Father clothed in his righteousness because he defeated death, conquered the enemy, and rose again. And he did it for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take of the cup. So Father, as we move forward in service, we just ask you, Let your Holy Spirit talk with us, speak with us. Let us be open to whatever you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Virgie, you wanted to share something this morning? Virgie's so funny. Who can refuse Virgie if she says she heard from God, right? Let me help you with this. The Lord is my strength. I don't care what comes my way, good or bad, beautiful or ugly. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I go into the hospital, not the hospital, I have surgery tomorrow morning. The joy of the Lord is my strength. There's no fear, there's no worry. And I know, I know I'm going to experience His love. His love. So I want to I encourage all of you, whatever you're going through, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's a word from Jesus to you today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Virgie. That phrase can get you through a whole lot. Amen. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We are in a series called The Tug of War. This series has is, is, is been spirit-led because I, I keep being surprised about what he's got for us each week. This week, I believe he wanted us to talk about the family, our own families. But next week, we're also going to talk about family. But next week, we're going to talk about the family of God. This week, we're going to talk about our own personal families. And there's no better place to do this than in Joshua chapter 24 of the Old Testament. But before we begin, let me have you consider the words of Chuck Swindoll. Pastor Chuck wrote this. Whatever else may be said about the home, it is the bottom line of life, the anvil upon which attitudes and convictions are hammered out. 
It is the place where life's bills come to do. It's the single most influential force in our earthly existence. It's no wonder we live in a world that downplays the value of the home. It is something I am so passionate about because God has blessed me so much. When God really blesses you, you can't help but want to share it. I had no idea, no idea that I would end up with the family that I have. I am incredibly blessed and I never want to take it for granted what God has done in our home. And it's probably why I'm so passionate about it. Because as long as our house was serving God, God has blessed us and helped us as a family. I don't think we realize today, Debbie and I have talked about this with our grands, about our grandson and our, our Alicia and Dominic. We've talked about, I don't think we quite understand what, what little Maverick is going to face in his world. We live in a world that has that changed so much. And I know every generation says that, but it seems to be different every five years now, it seems. I read an article, get this, it was dated just a couple of weeks ago, September 14th, 2023. This was taken from Pew Research Center. Center. It was just a couple of weeks ago that this data came out says the American family has undergone significant changes in the recent decades. For decades, there was one predominant family form. But as recently as just 1980, there is no longer one predominant family form. In 1970, 67 percent, almost 70 percent of Americans ages 25 to 49 were living with their spouse and one or more children under the age of 18. Over the past only five decades, that share has now dropped to 37 percent. Only 30 percent, 37 percent of our families, our children, are living with a married couple. Only 37% of our married couples have the babies under the age of 18 or are still married. With the drop in the share of adults living with a spouse and children, get this, there's been an overabundance of an increase in other types of family living arrangements, like unmarried adults raising children. A recent survey finds that the U.S. public is now more than ever accepting of some family types more than others. And broadly speaking, Americans are more pessimistic than optimistic about the future of the institution of the marriage and the family. How sad that only a third of our country is even living in a normal, what so-called normal, family. Our kids are the ones that will suffer. And not only that, think of this, the weakening of the family structure. Our kids are growing up now where they know more, they see more, they experience more, they grow up faster than ever. Sex talk is just average in their homes. They don't have a problem with that because they hear it every day. Not to mention the many forms of indoctrination. Indoctrination of our children in public schools, colleges, social media, films, television. 
Indoctrination of critical race theories, social justice, gender identity, teachers engaging in political activism in the classroom, cancel culture, and the rights of parents to be the parents of their children, not the children of the state. Amen? Against that reality, the words of Dr. James Dobson ring so true. We must take the make the salvation of our children our number one priority. Nothing else is more important. In the Old Testament, Joshua knew this. In Joshua chapter 24, I'm in the first 13 verses here. Joshua certainly understood the power of parents. He came to the end of his life. You know, we always hold those last words. We want to know what they are. With bated breath, what are those last words? And knowing that he was only one step from death, Joshua sounds a call to renew that beginnings of what, the reciting of what is probably one of the blessed, more than dozens of blessings he had seen in the past. And then in verse 14 through 27, in the middle of the message, he finds the powerful words that have been said for over 3,000 years. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In those words and the verses leading up to them, I want us today to quickly talk about five decisions, five decisions that we have to make if we want our families to serve the Lord. And before I do that first one, I just want to make mention, this goes for every single person, every widowed person, young person, old person, married person. We are a community, a church family. I'm going to talk about that more next week. But this is what it takes for all of us. So let me read out of verse, beginning in verse 11 through 13 in Joshua 24. He says, Then you went over to Jordan, and you came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. All, and this is, the, this is the, uh, Joshua going over what has happened. He also, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gashanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites. And then God says, But I delivered you. Them, I delivered them into your hands. God sent the hornet before, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of Amorites, but not with the sword, but with your bow. I have given you land for which you did not labor, cities in which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat in the vineyards and olive groves, and you didn't plant them. Joshua wants the people to never forget they owe everything to God. Do we say that in our homes enough? We owe everything to God. After all, the Israelite army had won battle after battle. They were routing the enemy from the field. It would be natural to think, hey, we are some good special forces happening here. Which leads to what? Pride. We talked about that last week. If you missed it, go online. It's there. But they thought it was always deadly. Joshua knew that once the, the people began to take credit for their own victories, they would soon turn away from God altogether, and that would be deadly. So let me ask you the question, has God blessed you? And are you talking about it in your homes? Hey, God has really blessed us. Hey, before we say grace, I just want to tell you guys, God really blessed us. 
We ought to do this with our, with our families, what Joshua did. It's a good thing to review the past blessings, to make a written record of God's faithfulness. We need to say to our children and our grandchildren, sweetheart, do you remember when you were sick and we prayed to God and you got better? Do you remember when dad lost his job and we were so afraid, but we prayed and God gave him a new one? Do you remember when we prayed for Joe and Cheryl to be saved and six months later they accepted Christ? A good memory of God's blessing is the best defense against backsliding. That's a good word, Pastor. You should say that again. I think I will. A good memory of God's blessing is the best defense against backsliding. Has God blessed you? Write it down. Think about it often. Tell your children, tell your family, tell your friends. Pass it along so that the succeeding generation can tell story after story when you go to heaven. My grandmother gave me her, her, uh, her family Bible. It was her grandmother's. And in 1898, the story written by her mother that she translated from German into English so I would have it. And the story goes that she got a terrible case of shingles. So bad it, was, it covered her eyes and it covered her face. And she was desperate for God to heal her. And as she was being carried to this carriage that was the ambulance, she was being carried in 1898. She suddenly began to speak in tongues. And all of the scales came off of her, and she was healed before she got into the carriage. I couldn't believe I was reading from 1898. And by the way, she was a Lutheran speaking in tongues. I would never know that if my great-grandmother hadn't written down what happened to her mother. Think about it. Write it down. And that leads to number two. Teach my family to worship God. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, he says, Now fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. My, uh, <laughs> let me give you a contrast of fear. My daughters, uh, I, when I was, see, I was blessed, whether they, they'll now say they were blessed, but at the time I wouldn't know if they would say this necessarily. But when I got to be with them in their schools and all their Christian education through elementary and high school, I was a pastor on campus at their schools. So whenever, I had one rule in my house that if the boy wanted to take my daughter out on a date, well, I had to meet him first. And uh, I remember both Alicia and Rebecca would go, well, they want to ask me out, but they're scared to talk to you. And with a straight face, I would just look at them and go, that's a good kind of fear. That's good. I like that fear. And you know why I felt that? Because it meant they had respect. It meant they cared about, if, if they didn't care about what I thought, they would just show up and go, hey, Pastor Eric, I'm taking your daughter out. You don't mind, do you? Instead, they were afraid. Listen to when we think about the fear of the Lord, people cringe, think it's about cringing in terror. But the biblical concept of fearing the Lord means to have such a deep respect for God that we want to please him in all that we do. That's a good fear. It's an inner devotion 
that causes us to honor God? How do we share this inner devotion? How do we get that fear of the God, that good fear of God in our families? Well, it's, first of all, it's more about atmosphere than it is about program. When the parents truly fear, fear God, or the grandparents, their children will fear him too. When they love the Lord, it'll be natural for the children to love him too. When they sing hymns, their children will learn the words. When they pray, their children will quietly pray with them. Family faith in God is better caught than taught. And unfortunately, many parents give their children just enough Jesus to confuse them. I remember asking my girls very clearly, and I was so proud of this. There's not a, look, as a parent, you, you got to take the attaboys when you get them. Amen? You got to take them. And when they were much older, I remember asking him, did you ever feel like we forced you to go to church? And she said, no, Dad. Both of them said this. It's just what we did. It's just what we did. I'm always amazed at parents. And this is where I get a little uh, pastor jerk face once in a while. When, especially with teenagers. I just can't get my kids to come to church. I just can't. They don't want to come. They don't like the people. They don't have any friends there. They don't know if they understand it. And they just don't like it. And I remember this one woman in my youth group was telling me that about her teenager. And believe me, I was, I was only a youth pastor at that point for probably less than a year. So I was still kind of a jerk. And... Uh, <laughs> And I asked her, I said, if your kid has a little pain right here when you touch it, and they're running about 101 fever, and they're complaining that it hurts every time you touch it there, what would you do? She goes, well, it sounds like an appendicitis. I'd take them to the hospital, an emergency. I said, yeah, but what if, the, what if your teenager doesn't like that doctor? Well, the teenager doesn't like that hospital. She said, I don't care. It's their, their health. They got to go. I go, Really? What about their spiritual health? I just can't force them. And I, I really said to him, what if they don't, oh, my friends don't go to that hospital and I don't like that doctor. I mean, give me a break. We're talking about their spiritual health. Now, men bear a heavy responsibility in this area. Now, I'm not just talking, I'm talking to dads, husbands, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, uncles, young men, high school boys, college, young single men, older single men. Men of every age. Listen, guys, it starts with us. For too many years, we have delegated spiritual leadership to the women while we went out in the world to make a living. We have laid burdens on women that were never intended to have them bear it alone. Now listen to me before you get into the feminist thing. Listen, God meant spiritual leadership to be a shared burden. Amen? But the men have to take the initiative. To want, truly want God's blessing. Listen, it's, it just stands out in the statistics. Recently, I saw a famous painting by Norman Rockwell. Check this out. This appeared on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post in 1959. Do I? Jimmy, are you around? Who's got the PowerPoint? I'm here. I'm, I'm, it's there. Oh, there it is. Okay. So what you see here, it shows a suburban family going off to church. And you can see it's led by the oldest sister, followed by mom, who's followed by the younger sister. 
All three women are dressed by, for church. Following them is their young boy who appears to be going with some reluctance. What's the problem? Well, look at the center of the painting. Dear old dad slumped in the chair in his pajamas, reading the newspaper, having his cigarette, and Junior walks by, casts a longing eye to dad, going, I wish I'd rather be with dad. When will we learn that our actions speak louder than words? In a family, check this out, in a family, statistics will bear out that if mom wants to go to church, the, the entire family going is only about 40 to 35 to 40%. But if dad wants to go to church, it's 95 to 100% that the whole family goes. When will we learn that our actions speak louder than our words? And that leads really smoothly into decision number three. It's becoming a student of obedience. A student of obedience. Joshua chapter 24 verse 14 says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, worship beyond the Euphrates rivers and in the Egypt, and serve the Lord. The word serve is used in various forms six times in just two verses. This is obviously the burden on Joshua's heart. He wants the people to be willing to choose to serve the Lord. He specifies that it means when he adds in all faithfulness. Every area of our lives must be surrendered to the Lord Jesus. Oh, but I'm tired this morning. Surrender it to God. I got lots to do this Sunday. Retire it to God. Give it, surrender it to God. Give it all to God. Whenever you feel like you're in control, you're making yourself God. God says... There should be no hidden rooms. And Joshua is saying, do it in all faithfulness. Put aside the false gods. Get rid of what I call soul pollution. Soul pollution is stuff that we put into our souls with our eyes, with our ears. Stuff we see on television and movies, on the internet. It all pollutes our soul if it's not of God. And by the way, I'm not talking about Christian music. And by the way, music can't be Christian because only people are saved, not songs. Okay? There's songs that honor God and songs that don't honor God. But it doesn't mean that they are Christian songs. I never understood not saved. They're songs. So I always told our kids this. In balance. Life is about balance. God is a God of order. God is a God of balance. Look at I was not a big fan of some of the music kids were listening to when they were teenagers i wasn't they were they were pretty good i mean they really got more into country than anything else but every once in a while there were a couple of songs i went what but this is the way we viewed it music that honors god is like meat baby it feeds your soul and if you think about it all music kind of feeds your soul in some form or another it's powerful that's why lucifer was the worship leader right so the way I looked at it was some of that other stuff that they were listening to was like candy. And I would tell them, listen, you can't live on candy. If you eat candy all the time, you're going to be sick. So I don't mind you once in a while having a piece of candy. But the rest of the time, can you please have some kind of well-balanced meal there? And so that's how it was in my home. 
And sometimes I had to go, okay, okay, that, that's enough. Because I don't believe in, I, here's what I believe, there's good music and bad music. That's all there is. Doesn't matter what genre, it doesn't matter whether it's Christian, it doesn't matter whether it's folk music or symphony or country. There's good music and bad music. That's all there is to it. Because <laughs> there are some groups out there that, I'm sorry, they're just bad. And then there's some that are pretty good. Listen to it this way, getting rid of soul pollution. I read this letter um, a long time ago in one of these books I, I, I was reading. And I looked it up, and it was about this testimony of God's grace in this guy who was in prison. And he had, he had written this letter to his pastor from prison. Check this out. He says this, Pastor, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I used to have all sorts of magazines, like Penthouse, Easy Rider, American Rider, Playboy, and Hot Rod. But today as I look around, none of those exist. Only Bibles and good reading. I enjoy spending time reading the Bible. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have tried to get what I saw others had from that Bible, but I never did. But one of my brothers here told me to pray for understanding. And just like that, reading the Bible became joyful. My Lord had changed my life. I never could have. I praise God for saving my life by sending me into a place where he could slow me down and take me from Satan. Thank you, Jesus. I believe this man's conversion is genuine. Why? Because he got rid of all that other junk that was polluting his soul. He got rid of the gods that were beyond the river. The old literature went out of his old life and was replaced by the word of God. It's a sign of a genuine work of God's spirit in his heart. It's also a sign of becoming a student of obedience. Look, I've told this story before, but I've got to be honest with you, this is before I even knew Jesus. I was a, a young man in the 80s. And in the 80s, the big thing was cocaine. And we did a lot of it. The bummer about cocaine is it's so expensive. And you stay up all night talking to people you don't really want to talk to about things you don't really want to talk about. It's ridiculous. But I was part of that group. And one night, I was on my way, I was right after work, I was on my way to go buy what was called an eight ball, which is 3.25 ounces, so cocaine taught me the metric system. All right, so I got one thing. So it's about 300 bucks to go do that. And I went to go buy it. And on my way, my car stereo broke. Now I had to make a decision. Do I stay up all night talking to people I don't want to talk to about stuff I don't want to talk about? Do I buy a new car stereo? So I bought a new car stereo. I did. And I went, oh my gosh, look at all this stuff I can buy. I had no idea. I was like, I looked at my paycheck and I still had some left over by the next paycheck. This is crazy. So I, I really, God just kind of eliminated it. I didn't just quit. I mean, I, I stopped buying it, and then, then I, I remember uh, shortly after meeting Debbie, I just said, I don't want this in my life anymore, and I, it wasn't any great, oh, I just kept remembering that car stereo. <laughs> Alcohol was similar in my life. It was very similar in my life. I used to drink um, a, 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 a big, whatever, not the fifth, but the next size up, whatever that big bottle is, a bourbon. Um, that'd be at home. 
But you got to remember, I was doing comedy five to seven nights a week, and out in the bars, I was drinking as well there. So I was going through one of those a week, plus the drinking. In the, and I remember when I went into ministry, I turned to Deb and I said, hey, Deb, this pastor, man, he says no alcohol, not even in, your, in the house. And Debbie said, Eric, we haven't had alcohol in this house in almost a year. I go, what? She says, yeah. Oh, so it's not a problem. She goes, no. God just took it out. Now, I wish I could say that about everything in my life. Oh, God, I wish it was that easy. But God will eliminate things if you open yourself up to those, that obedience. God, I want to follow you. He will give you. It also says in the Bible, he will give you no temptation that's beyond you, that he could take you out of it. You got to answer it with the word of God. You got to keep pumping your soul full of good stuff and eventually the bad stuff goes away, amen? Okay, decision number four. This I love. Remember your spiritual heritage. Joshua 24, verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. And when I read these verses, it first tripped me up. But then I understood what Joshua was appealing. He was appealing to their democratic sense. He knew who he was talking to. He offers them a series of choices. This is their tug-of-war moment. He says, first, there's a true God, but now he's giving him the choice. Then there's the gods beyond the river, meaning the river Euphrates. He's referring to the gods of Ur and Chad's. There would be gods of ancient tradition, the moon, gods of God, the moon, God of moon and the god of sun. And then there were the gods of Egypt, meaning the sun, rain, darkness, natural disasters. And then the gods of the Amorites, meaning the gods of fertility and sexual pleasure. So what he's basically saying is you have a choice here. You're either going to serve these, these gods of darkness and natural disasters or the gods of fertility and sexual pleasure, or you can serve the one true God. There's their tug of war. It's a choice that every individual has to make on their own. And if you don't want to choose the living and true God, then go back to your false gods. Go back to what you used to worship. Go all the way back to Ur, if you like. I always say that when I talk to people who are in and out of church, they bounce into loving God and not loving God. They bow, I'm just going to get it right. Oh, I want to do this. And they keep going as a roller coaster all their lives. And I keep on and going, so what is your foundation? And how's that working for you? I mean, at some point, you have to make the choice. Some people prefer the gods of this world to the one true God of the Bible. Their eyes are so blinded by sin. Their hearts are given so fleshly indulgence. They feel like they're going to miss out. They would rather drink from a cesspool of sin than drink of the water of life from God. Because they're in control. Here you see the genius of biblical faith. We don't need to coerce people into serving the Lord. If they prefer some other way, let them be. It's almost always a mistake to push people too much when we attempt to win them to Christ. We have nothing to fear and everything to gain by presenting the options and giving people the right to make up their own minds. They have to have their own personal tug of war. Don't mistake it. Don't miss it. 
This is why we have to love everyone right where they're at. And that's the way God loves them. God loves them no matter how messed up their life is. You know why I know that? Because he loves me no matter how messed up my life is. And no matter how messed up your life is. So their sin might be a little, might be even, might be a little more colorful. Who knows? That's between them and God. We're not in charge of cleaning them up. We're in charge of catching them. Amen? <coughs> okay, number five. Choose daily, daily to serve the Lord. There are many people not here today because today, Sunday, they chose not to serve the Lord. They wanted to serve their own interests, their own needs. I'm not bashing them. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes they've got to. Sometimes people have things they have to do. I get it. But that's why it has to be a daily thing. That's why it was in my, my house. It couldn't be so much, just enough Jesus to confuse them. It had to be so much Jesus that they couldn't help but see Jesus in Debbie and I's life. They had to see the result. I remember it was a real difficult period of about three and a half years. We were building our building at, in Antioch. We were for eight years meeting in elementary school with about 20, 30 people. We had grown to almost 90 people and decided to go into a building program. By the time the building was pro program was done, about three and a half years, we were down to another 40 people again. That three and a half years was tough on my family. My wife had just about had it. And about three years into this thing, I had to go have a meeting with my pastor because I came home one night and on the dining room table was a church visitor card. And it said, hey, Eric, fill this out so we can get to know you a little bit better. She wasn't joking. It was three and a half years I kind of missed in my family. It was out of whack, out of balance. Oh, but we're doing the work of God, right? So I remember when the building was complete, we celebrated as much as we could with our children. And thank God our church board wisdom to, to bonus me and my family a trip to Disneyland for a week. And Debbie and I made sure to every day of that, every day of that week, wasn't this awesome what God did? Isn't this great what the church did? Because they had to get a negative. I remember, get this, Alicia and Becca both said they would never marry pastors. They told me that when they were younger because they saw what it was doing to me and they didn't like it. So we had to show them all the positive things. Look what God did. Look what God did. Constantly boosting up the church and it was worth it. The church today is still there with over 550 students and over three, 400 people going to church every Sunday. It's wonderful to be part of something bigger than yourself, but not at the expense of your family. That's why it has to be daily. Daily. It has to be all the time. In your face. Daily. Joshua 24, 15, what did he say? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In these simple words, we find the will of God clearly stated. Serve the Lord. And we are to do everything on our power that our family follows our example. That means it's time now to get serious with God. We need a generation of Joshua's. And there are several implications here, and I'll wrap it up with this. First, each one of us must personally decide to serve the Lord. I can't choose for you. Only you can choose. We need a generation of Joshua's who will make that choice. Second, 
Parents have a special obligation to set the right example of this verse. We can hardly expect our children to serve Christ if we don't take God seriously. Third, fathers have the highest obligation here. There are heavy burdens implied in these words. It's true, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And if that's true, I better make sure that the tree is healthy. Let me add an application I would have used, I wouldn't have used, three years ago. I'm going to add a verse I never really read that much, didn't care about it until three years ago. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. This is Paul talking to his young pastor, Timothy. I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also. Grandparents have a huge role to play. I've been waiting to be a grandparent for a very long time. And at first I thought, this is great, because I can mess with this kid for a good 15 years before he's on to me. But really, when I started thinking about the seriousness of grandparents, I thought about my own grandmother. I wasn't thir- I was, it wasn't until I was 32, 33 years old before I really started seeking the Lord. And it was because I had to look at my life, and it was a mess. And I looked at my grandmother's life, and no matter what circumstances she was in, she always had joy. Whatever she was dealing with, you know, my grandmother would love to laugh in the Lord. I remember one time, she would just laugh and have joy in her heart, and she would just send me presents, all these things. And she was living, they were managing a storage unit place in which they converted several storage units into an apartment. She was living in a storage container and she was happy. I looked at the consistency of her life, always loving Jesus and always loving me. And I said, I want that consistency. My grandmother had an incredibly powerful sword to wield. She held all the power in my eyes. I loved being around my grandmother, and she loved being around me. So when I think about being a grandparent, I think about the power I hold with my little guy Maverick and Debbie. And one of the things we have purposely decided to do is to make mom and dad look good. We are going to honor the mother and father and their family. We always make sure we want to do exactly what they would do. Exactly their wishes. Because it's their child. We are here not to just spoil the kid. Which is fun. Don't get me wrong. My wife, if she buys another ice cream for that kid, I'll... And he has more little cars in my life than I've ever seen. But we always make sure to check with Alicia and Dominic because we have faith that God has made them the perfect parents, not us. But imagine the power of a kid who looks at grandma and grandpa, or in our case, papa and yaya, and looks at us with those eyes that say, you can do no wrong. And we look at him and say, you have the greatest mother and the most incredible father. And we constantly tell Maverick that now.
that he has the perfect parents. They are incredible. And we are going to do everything they want. Imagine that power, the power to reinforce that family. When we talk about Jesus to Maverick, it will never stop. But we'll never stop talking up mom and dad either. Not about going against their wishes and going, I'm the grandparent, I get to do what I want. It's not, it's not about us. I want, my, I want my kids to know when, when they drop off their child to us, their wishes are going to be done. I want them to have that consistency as well. Grandparents have a special relationship, and we need to use it. It's time to choose. I'm struck by Joshua's boldness. He says, as for me, he stands up in public. I don't care what the rest of you do. I'm going to serve the Lord. Even though he was the leader of a nation, he was willing to part with his own people over this fundamental issue. Sooner or later, it happens to all of us, whether it's workers, co-workers, people you meet, people you hang out with, your friends, your family. If you follow Christ, there will become a time when you say, they say, what are you doing? Come on, it's Sunday. You have the day off. Come meet with us. We're going to go do this. We're going to go do that. No, at some point, you're going to have to say, do what you want. Do whatever you want to do. I'm still your friend, but as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Choosing the Lord will not happen by accident. It's a personal decision. Joshua said, but as for me. He says, it, it says you can't, you can't be salvation for somebody. Only Jesus can. God doesn't have any grandchildren. This is a declaration as for me. The most amazing thing here, Joshua, as the leader of his family he claims the right to speak for his wife and his children, his great-grandchildren, his children, grandchildren, even his servants. You know why he was able to do that? Because he was the head of his household, which men, you earn, baby. You got to earn that trust. And the Bible is very clear in Ephesians. You have to die to yourself as Christ died for the church. Every Christian ought to make this similar statement when it comes to the God, family of God. We will serve the Lord. His law will be their law. His commandments will be his delight. His worship, their highest goal. His glory is ultimate aim. Joshua had taught his family well for years and was able to stand up. He doesn't say, my house without me. He would be like the Norman Rockwell family. Nor does he say me without my house, which would be a different kind of hypocrisy. Both are joined together. I will serve the Lord and my family joins me in that pledge. You know why I can stand up here and say that? Because I am the head of my family. I am the leader in my home. And it has cost me greatly, especially in pride, especially in things I've wanted, selfishness, it's cost. Because I, to lead my homeless, Christ has led his church, I have to die to myself and look to their needs better than my own. I look at the whole family in general. I have to look at the whole spectrum and we make a decision. I don't look at just my own needs. What is best for the family? Not what's just best for me. I will serve the Lord and my family joins me in that pledge. I can speak like that. Let no man read the words that they can live carelessly in life. 
and on his deathbed go, oh God, please save my family. To live that way is to have a desperate ending. You know, you got to serve somebody. Everybody's got to decide. Can I guarantee that my children and grandchildren are going to serve the Lord and follow in my steps? <laughs> no. Because God has given everybody their own ability to make their choice. <coughs> we all know those sad cases where godly parents produce offspring who didn't serve Christ. Godly parents and grandparents, though, can do this. We can tip the scales. We can skip, skip, tip the scales in the right direction. We can't guarantee that they'll, that they'll uh, serve the Lord, but we can provide the atmosphere. And don't give up. Don't give up. I was 34 years old before I finally surrendered. My grandmother would ask me since I was 13 years old, when are you going to sing for Jesus? She would pray over me when I was asleep, staying at her house when I was eight, nine years old. She took me to church. She didn't take me to children's church. She made me sit right next to her and listen to this bald guy play the piano and sing a bunch of hymns. She made me do it. And I sat there quietly because otherwise I didn't get a donut afterwards. We have to be serious about it though. My grandmother was serious. You know how I know that? Because I would have to sleep in the other bedroom in her apartment in Mare Island. And I would hear these sailors come over to her house. She always had sailors spending the night with her. Grandma Marty had sailors at her house. Why? Because the deal was, if she came to her house that night, she'd cook them dinner, she'd cook them breakfast, and they had to go to church with her. I remember staying up late at night wondering, what is that sound in there? They were praying in the spirit around the kitchen table. She would take them all to church in her station wagon. I love the station wagon because I could sit in the way back. And at her funeral, there were so many sailors there talking about how Grandma Marty led her to the Lord. She was serious. We need a serious godliness, but we also need a serious heartfelt joy. Are you ready? Do you know where you stand with God? The application Joshua challenges us it cannot be any clearer. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. In the words of that famous theologian Bob Dylan, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. No one gets a free ride. No one gets to straddle the fence forever. There's no room for neutrality. Every person needs a God. And every person must serve the God they choose. If you choose not to choose, you've made your choice. You can't choose the true God by default or inheritance. You have to make your choice, cast your vote, and choose your God. And I'll just say it from here, just publicly like like Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Amen? Come on, stand to your feet this morning. Don't let this moment pass.
sitting there online or in here today, you're saying, you know what, Pastor? I, I feel like I've been straddling that fence a long time. It's like I serve God when things are going well, and then when everything goes bad, I walk away from Him. Or maybe the opposite's true. Everything's going fine, and I feel like I don't need God, and then everything falls apart, and I need to go to church. But God is a God who has consistency and order. He is a faithful God, even when we are not faithful. But our call today is who are we serving? Are we going to serve ourselves and make ourselves God? Are we going to serve the God of relaxation, the God of sleeping in, the God of football, the God of NASCAR? Or are we going to serve the Lord and gather together as a family to magnify the Lord, to sacrifice for God? He's given His only begotten Son. What possibly could we give so we have said maybe some of us here today and online have said this before Lord I give you my life except for this little part over here and this little thing over there Lord I surrender all well choose today choose today whom you will serve As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Father, give us your strength. We are living in perilous days. The Bible speaks about it in Revelation where the last days will be like birth pains. And yes, Lord, it is painful. We are living in the days of right before Noah, I feel like, in so many ways. And God, we are running out of time to make our choice. Our families are running out of time to make their choice. Our loved ones and co-workers. Father, let none of us here today be caught in in a deathbed plea of God save them. Instead, Father, let us live our lives consistently under you. Let our lives be the testimony that says, I serve a God who saved me. Made me blameless blameless before my Father. And I'm going to spend eternity in His presence. Oh God, anoint everyone here today and online to make them attractive. That makes Jesus attractive in their lives, in their workplaces, in their homes, in their children, their grandchildren. God, let us be the leaders of our homes as we remain consistent as my grandmother and faithful unto you as Joshua. God, we need you. We need you in every aspect of our lives. So today, help me decide to choose you, God, and help me to remain faithful to that. Be consistent in that. Not just for me, but for my whole family and generations thereafter. We ask you to do this in the powerful name of Jesus. And the church said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Hey, don't forget, next week, next week, we're going to talk about the church, the family of God, and how we are in a tug of war with that, obviously. So we'll see you. And come downstairs and have some food. We'd love to see you. God bless you.